0: Have you ever woken up from a dream and then had to remind yourself that it was just a dream and that it wasn't reality? You're struggling to get your bearings and, and come to grips with the fact that it, instead of being in the place you were in your dream, you're actually in your own place, in your own bed, in your own room, in your own house. The clash of dream and reality is real and, and powerful. I used to have this Recurring nightmare when I was a teenager that uh, I was in my room and the walls of my room would be closing in. And then the room would also at the same time start to fill with these colorful foam balls. But these balls were heavy and you couldn't move. So I was like feeling like I was getting like trapped. <laughs> it was uh, it was kind of crazy. And, and, when, and immediately woke to um, reality. It was hard to tell what was reality and what was a dream because
1: it just it felt so real. The clash of dream and reality is powerful. And that's precisely
0: what John is counting on when he communicates his heavenly visions in Revelation. And this morning, we encounter a clash between a heavenly vision of the church and earthly reality. The result is a powerful and prophetic word
1: reminding us that the church triumphant is... Diverse, equal in grace, and honors Christ with word and action. And we're called to live now in anticipation of that.
0: Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there, that it would grow us and transform us, that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Reading this morning from uh, Revelation is from the 7th chapter, uh, beginning with verse 9 and going through verse
1: 17. Listen now for God's Word. After this I looked, and there was a great crowd
0: that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders said to me, Who are these people wearing white robes, and where did they come from? I said to him, Sir, you know. Then he said to me, These people have come out of great hardship. They have washed their robes and made them white in the Lamb's blood. This is the reason they are before God's throne. They worship Him day and night in His temple, and the one seated on the throne will shelter them. They won't hunger or thirst anymore. No sun or scorching heat will beat down on them because the lamb who is in the midst of the throne will shepherd them. He will lead them to springs of life, giving water, and God will wipe away every tear
1: from their eyes. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, As, as we uh,
0: have encountered previously in, in this sermon series on, on Revelation, looking at these heavenly visions and, and what they mean for our earthly reality, This is yet again such a powerful image. It's this great, infinite gathering of people who have come to worship the Lamb on the throne, have come to worship Jesus. And how he describes this throng of people is both inspiring and instructive for us as the church today. First, the vision declares unmistakably that the heavenly church is diverse. There was a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, that's multinational. Every tribe, that's multiethnic. Every people, that's multicultural. Every language, that's multilingual. This crowd is not just impressively large, it's impressively different and unique. This this gathered body of worshipers has folks from every walk of life, every socioeconomic level, every skin tone, every sexual orientation, every gender identity, every political affiliation, speaking all kinds of languages coming from different backgrounds and places, with their unique stories and cultures and traditions. This is a snapshot, a culmination really of the Imago Dei, the image of God. In Genesis, when God created human beings in God's image, a big part of what that meant was that we don't simply bear God's image individually, but collectively. In other words, each people group with, not in spite of, with their unique and beautiful languages and clothing and foods and customs reveal a facet of God's infinite beauty and diversity. No single People group can adequately reflect the glory of God. The beautiful image of God, diversity of God's people in this heavenly vision of church, is not dissolved away. It's
1: preserved, it's restored, it's enhanced, it's made even more real and beautiful. Too often in our
0: in our society, and and, and frankly, sometimes even in our churches. Racial and and other minorities are forced to change important aspects of their identity in order to belong. Like in order for us to accept you, you have to become exactly like us. A lot of times that's even what we mean by becoming diverse. Like come, come to our church and be like us. But this vision doesn't say that they... They all started speaking English. It doesn't say that they all became white. It doesn't say they all became American. It doesn't even say they all became United Methodist. There is certainly unity. They they all stand on equal ground before the throne, washed by the blood of the Lamb, but it's not a picture of uniformity. God's not gazing out upon this this church gathering, uh, blind to the differences, ignoring them. God's celebrating them just as God is always delighted in the beauty and diversity of what God made and redeemed. Jesus Christ, Paul tells us in Ephesians, has broken down the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentile. That means through his death and resurrection, Jesus broke down not the differences, not the diversity, but how we created walls between one another based on those differences. This vision of the church triumphant then is not that we're all going to become a bland, uniform people. It's a tapestry of differences reflecting who God is more accurately. And isn't the church supposed to reflect God? It reminds me of a great children's book we have in our home called Colorful, F-U-L-L, Colorful. In it, three neighbors, Kayla who is white, and Imani and her brother Christopher, who are black, play together in Imani and Christopher's backyard and have a wonderful uh, conversation with Imani and Christopher's Granny Mac, as she's called. She overhears them talking about all the the different colors swirling around in the bubbles that they're blowing in in the I Spy game they're playing with plants and animals in the backyard. And she uses it as a teaching moment. She says, God did wonderful work making God's creation so beautiful. God painted vivid colors, making everything a special color. When God created people, God didn't all make us one color, right? God must love color to have made all earth's people with such wonderful shades. That's something to celebrate. You know, sometimes people say we should be colorblind and not notice the different colors of our skin, but God gave us eyes to to take in all that. If our eyes are full of all the colors God made and our hearts are full
1: of celebration for all that color, then maybe that means we're colorful. Revelation doesn't present a colorblind image of the church. It's a colorful image of church. This is not church without difference. This is church without division.
0: This is not a church uniform, but united. And so when people ask me or, 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 or when people ask you, hey, like, why, why do you talk so much? Why do you care so much about, about diversity and equity and inclusion so much? It's because of compelling biblical passages like this one. We're not pushing because of white guilt or out of a desire to be woke. We're not caving to a secular agenda. We're committed to a scriptural vision for what God envisions for the church and for God's people. If it's true that whatever we labor for and build now that resembles the kingdom will not be destroyed, but will only be enhanced when God's kingdom comes fully on earth as it is in heaven, then shouldn't we
1: joyfully, courageously work for what we see here in this vision? Second, this vision reveals a church that is equal in grace.
0: United by being incorporated equally into Christ's saving work, John reports that this crowd was standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they all were wearing white robes and they all had palm branches in their hands. The white robes that they all wear are, is a powerful symbol. Robes is an important robes are an important piece of clothing in the Scripture. It's not just uh, it doesn't just communicate. Uh, you know, physically wearing clothing, it, uh, clothing also revealed status and identity. Remember the parable of the prodigal son that Jesus tells? The son uh, runs away and, and squanders his father's inheritance, and then he returns home to a father who forgives him, welcomes him home. The father gives him a new robe to put on. This is not just so he has a nice pair of clean clothes because his old one smelled like the pig's sign but it indicates his restored place within the family. In Christ, because of his saving death and resurrection, we are restored to God's family. We are restored to God's family. And so our primary identity then comes from that. Our status comes from that. There's something wonderfully equal and unifying about that. In addition, the robes are white, which signifies and victory. Early Christians used to be, when they were baptized, uh, when they would come up out of the water, they would immediately put on a white robe signifying that they had been made new and pure through grace by participating in Christ. So this vision points to, to the equal standing before God and the uniting power of God's grace. The heavenly church is not united because it's uniform. There's unity because all have put on Christ. All have been rescued by grace, equally redeemed. All, as John
1: puts it just a few verses later, have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. Now, Roman propaganda claimed that salvation, well-being, peace, unity came and had
0: its source in Rome. Revelation sees
1: right through this. Rome's unity was marked by violence and social pressure. Church's unity
0: is marked by grace. God's grace in Jesus Christ and sharing together in Christ's work in the world, even when it's hard. This heavenly church is is the culmination of of God's plan to, to bring about one new creation people whose life is centered around the praise
1: of God. Equal footing. Equal footing before the throne of grace. Not something that can be forced.
0: And that equality, clothed in honor and grace, creates the space for mutual love to
1: flourish, where we serve one another. Because we're not jockeying for status or for approval. Let me be your servant. Let me let you be my
0: servant, too. Let us serve one another, without distinction, without trying to
1: earn anything, or climb the ladder. Of course, talk about dream clashing with reality, right? In our society, just like Roman
0: society where power differences and equities, hierarchies are all over the place, this vision of church proclaims that we are, we are all equal children of God, connected to one another, regardless of our past, regardless
1: of our merit, regardless of our standing, regardless of our failures, our achievements, no one is second rate wearing a robe of white before the throne. And that's, that's the call for us today. In a world of inequity
0: and equality, divisiveness, we are called to live now in anticipation of church triumphant, recognizing our Oneness
1: in Christ and the grace in which we all stand, all of us, is equals Third and finally, this heavenly vision reveals a church honoring Christ with words
0: and actions.
1: Notice in the vision, the, with the great multitude of people who are gathered, they're all
0: grasping palm branches. In their hands and waving them in praise, they also all speak and sing God's praise, saying, "Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb." All the energy, all the focus is on honoring Jesus. This heavenly church isn't arguing over the color of the carpet. It's not twisting itself in knots trying to uh, attract people and be cool and hip. It's not developing a litmus test for who's included in the life of the church or not. It's not praising Jesus out of one side of its mouth while while praising idols out of the other. This is not a church of the 20% doing 80%. They all have branches in their hands and are waving them a praise. This isn't a church where people just come to, to consume spiritual information
1: and services. There is no distraction. This is a picture with a church, of a church where the focus is on Jesus Christ.
0: This is a church then with clear priorities, where, what's, where what is said and what's done together praise God. And they line up. When, when the multitude says, victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, their actions are consistent with that. Because waving palm branches was also a sign and symbol of victory.
1: And it directed others to the one who was victorious. Words and actions lining up. Several years ago, I got the chance to go to Costa Rica
0: on a a mission trip. Um, I was a United Methodist missionary there in San Isidro. And it was a beautiful reminder for me the whole trip, not just how big and how global the church is, but also a reminder of the synergy that's supposed to exist between honoring Christ with our worship and with our lives. And it really came full circle for me and hit me and impacted me on the last day that we were there, one of the last days that we were there. For most of the day, I along with some Costa Rican um, friends had, had shovels or wheelbarrows in our hands mixing concrete on the ground, shoveling it, putting it in the wheelbarrow, taking the wheelbarrow down the hill, dumping it in holes that were, would support steel pillars, would one day become a new center providing shelter and child care for women coming to the city from rural areas in search of a better life. That was during the day. And That evening, I was invited to help serve communion with a Costa Rican pastor of a Methodist church there. And I prayed and did the liturgy in English, and he prayed and did the liturgy in Spanish. And as I took the bread in, in my hands, the same hands that were blistered from shoveling all day, and as I broke off pieces and put it in the calloused hands of the same, the same men who were working beside me that day, it was like oh, the day had just come full circle in terms of the singular focus on honoring Jesus, praising him, serving him, receiving him, offering him all with the same hands.
1: Friends, this heavenly vision is a call for us to labor with that kind of focus on Jesus
0: in the church, that our primary concern would be to honor Jesus Christ in all that we say and do, and that our priorities would follow suit, that if we say Jesus is victorious, then we better show that Jesus is victorious in the way we live our lives. That if we say we love Jesus, we better love our neighbors. We better be a church where everybody recognizes that they have something in their hands. They all hold something in their hands to praise and honor God. Everyone has something to offer that would bring honor and glory to Jesus. Where everyone in the church, and the church itself causes the world to look in God's direction. A church becoming more Christ-like and not club-like. A church not self-centered, but Christ-centered. A church that directs the world to the glory of Jesus Christ, the risen one. A church that praises Jesus, serves Jesus, offers Jesus, receives Jesus with the same hands church that sings about him on Sunday
1: and talks about him on Monday, the same lips. A heavenly vision, church. Diverse, equal in grace, honoring Christ in every way. Is this just a a pie-in-the-sky dream? No, I don't think so. Is this an assignment we can accomplish on our own, for our own plans and efforts? No, I don't think so. But this heavenly vision is a picture. This heavenly perspective is the way things are in God's future. Sometimes dreams are hard to distinguish from reality. Have you ever experienced something so real that you thought it was a dream? May it be so with us as the church now. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.